Every morning when I greet the sun, when I move forward through crowded ways, in my heart, Lord, ever so silently, I will always think of Thee. In my heart, Lord, ever so silently, I will always think of Thee. Share thy love. 
priest join us. Lord most high, our heavenly Father, all our lives we dedicate to discussing this morning seeing daily life with uplifted consciousness and my name is Nayaswami Nirmala and I'm joined by Nayaswami Padma and Nayaswami Narayan so because humor is vitally important on the spiritual path I wanted to start by describing a cartoon that I saw many years ago and it's a skinny little guy with big, thick glasses. And he's whistling. So that's to show you that he's very cheerful and joyful. And his sleeves are rolled up. So he's energetic. And he's wheeling a wheelbarrow with lots of energy. And inside the wheelbarrow are burning coals and flames. Because, yes, he is in hell. <laughs> and you know for sure he's in hell because there's two devils standing off to the side watching this guy. And one devil turns to the other and says, you know, we're just not getting to this guy. <laughs> and how is the little guy doing it? How is he staying? energetic and joyful and cheerful in hell. Well, Davy, in a recent talk, talked about seeing with the eyes of God. And that's what we need to do, and that's what the little guy is doing. He's got the glasses. He's seeing through the lens of the teachings. He's seeing through the lens of all these gifts we have, have been given for ways to uplift our consciousness. So he's probably thinking, I doubt if the cartoonist thought that the glasses were the key to this, but anyway, the little guy is probably thinking, okay, here I am in hell. What better place to burn off karma? <laughs> So let me get this done, and then I'll be with God. That's the way of the devotee. That's the way to see with the eyes of God. 
So Lahiri Mahashaya said that Satan is all around our minds. So we have to be careful what we put in there and what comes out. There's a story that Anandamoy Ma used to tell. And she said there was a, a woman who sold oil for lamps in the marketplace. And that's what she did every day, sold oil. And every day, beggars would come and say, please, can I have a little bit of oil? I don't have any money, but please give me something. And she would chew them away and say, not a drop will I give, not a drop. After many years, she was on her deathbed and her children were all around her and they were saying, Mother, say the name of God because it is known that the last thought that you have determines your next life. But this woman already had her mantra. Not a drop will I give, not a drop. And then another story is told about Anandamoy Ma. And she was giving a satsang with her devotees. And a family brought in an old woman on a pallet. And they sat in the back of the hall. The woman had been, or was, a devotee of Ma, and she wanted to have that darshan as she was getting close to leaving her body. And so Ma was happy to have her there, and every few minutes in the midst of her discourse, she would say, Mother, are you doing your japa? And the woman was too weak to reply, but she had her beads, and she would nod her head, and her daughter would say, yes, she's doing her job. And Ma would call out every little while. And then at a certain point, Ma got up, and she strode to the back of the room, and she went to the woman, and she ran her hands, starting at her feet, at the woman's feet, close to her body, and drew her energy up through her legs and feet, through her torso, her head, and out through her crown chakra. Now, which way would you rather go? <laughs> Think of the grace to have drawn a great saint like that to help you make your transition. And remember, she was doing her japa. So how do we fill our minds with God? Japa is one way. Singing these beautiful songs of Swamis is another way. He used to call his songs painless philosophy. <laughs> what a perfect, brilliant thing to do, to put master's teachings to music so that they go right to the heart you understand them with your heart. It's brilliant. Or the 6,000 talks that we have from Swamiji, what a legacy that is. 
We have so many things. Reading the scriptures, and I know some people think those dusty old tomes, 2,000 years ago they were written or more, how can they be relevant today? But think of the scriptures this way. They are a love letter from God to each one of you, to each one of us. And when we get a love letter, if you've ever gotten, I've always wanted to get a love letter, but you, you I, I have gotten some wonderful love letters. That's okay. I didn't mean to say any of that. <laughs> but when you get a love letter from your beloved, do you just go, oh, oh, I'll read it sometime? No, you tear it open. And you glean every bit of sweetness that you can. You read between the lines. You read it so often that you memorize it. And that's what is there for us? Every time we have a trouble, a worry, we need to know what direction to go in, what to do, how to respond. God is there. He's saying, just, and he will guide you. He will guide you to where the answer is. So trust in that. Go with that. It's such a blessing. And then there's the lives of the saints. Talk about action adventure. <laughs> the lives of the saints are thrilling. It's better than any Hollywood blockbuster movie. I'm wondering if I have time to tell you a quick story about St. John of the Cross. Okay. He's <laughs> one of my favorite saints. And he was a contemporary of St. Teresa. He was much of Avila, and he was much younger. But he was very inspired by the reform she was doing with the Carmelite nuns. He was a Carmelite monk. And so he was wanting to do these reforms in his monastery. And his fellow monks didn't like it. They thought their freedoms and privileges were being impinged upon, and they were very angry about it. So they captured him. They held him prisoner in a tower prison cell for nine months, half starving him, hardly any water. And then they got really angry after that because he wouldn't recant. And so they started pulling him out of his cell every night, berating him, beating him, and then they'd throw him back in his cell. And his cell had bars on the windows. It was way up high, very small, just a few rags on the floor to sleep on. And what did St. John do every night after having been beaten up? Did he think, oh, my 
poor body. Oh, I'm so betrayed by these people who were once my friends. This is so horrible. Why is God doing this to me? No. Every night, he mentally composed another stanza of his spiritual canticle. One of the most mystical and beautiful poems in any language. And this went on, this beating and writing stanzas and memorizing them so he wouldn't forget them. This went on for 17 nights. And at the end of the 17th night, after he had finished his spiritual canticle, his little room was flooded with light. And there stood the image of the Divine Mother, the Virgin Mary, in light and beauty. And she said to him, get up and get out of this place. <laughs> and he leapt up with superhuman strength. He, after all he'd been through, he was athletic, he had energy. He went over to the window and he bent the bars out of the way. And he took those rags he'd been sleeping on, he tied them into a rope, tied them to the bars of the window, and lowered himself out into the blackness. He couldn't tell how far up he was. He couldn't see anything. But he went down the rope, and the rope was short. He didn't know how far it was to the ground. All he could do was trust. He let go of the rope. And he fell and fell and fell onto a pile of very soft garbage. <laughs> and he startled a dog who was trying to find something to eat. And the dog took off, and John followed the dog. He didn't know where to go, he followed the dog. And he heard behind him that the monks had realized he was gone. And they had lit their torches, they were angrily shouting, and they took to the streets, and they were going to find this man, and God knows what. But John was following the dog, left and right and around. And finally, the dog leapt over, a, a, scrambled over a little stone wall. John went after him and scrambled down, laid on the ground in a little courtyard. And he didn't know where he was. He was trying to catch his breath. He heard the angry mob following him. And then he heard women singing. And he started, he couldn't make out what they were singing about, but he went a little closer and they were singing to God. And then he realized that of all the places on earth God had led him, he was in a reform convent of St. Teresa. So he was safe. Now, wouldn't you like to watch a movie about that? <laughs> so what we fill our minds with is very, very important. 
So I just have a few minutes left. So let me tell you something not to fill your mind with. And I have a lot of personal experience with this. So I saw something on the internet the other day, and it was a picture of Abraham Lincoln, who I greatly admire, with a quotation from him next to it. And the quotation was signed, Abraham Lincoln, 1868. And the quotation read, don't believe everything you read on the internet. <laughs> Just because it has a picture with a quotation next to it. <laughs> I read a wonderful book recently, and in fact, I'm reading it for the second time. It was so powerful for me. It's called Humankind with the emphasis on the kind. And the subtitle is A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. And in this book, he meticulously researches all these myths that we have as humanity about ourselves. And he debunks them. But I'm gonna set that aside. You have to discover that for yourself. But the other point that he, one of the other points that he makes is that the news, well, it's not a love letter from God. The news is something that um, we can get addicted to, for one thing. We can get addicted to emails and text messages and all that. There's a little dopamine hit it goes into the brain, oh, I have a text, let's see what that is. And so it becomes addicting. And we think, according to Bregman, and I feel this way, we think that we're attuning ourselves to reality by watching the news. And I never paid the slightest bit of attention to the news until 2016, and then, I started following it religiously. But what I found is, and now they have a term for this, what I found myself doing is called doom scrolling, where you just read downer after downer after downer article that just sort of freezes your mind. And we have to realize, as Bregman points out, that the news is based on sensationalism because that's what sells. And so we're being, we think we're tuning to reality, but really we're getting a skewed perception of the truth. And he says to read not just the left or the right, but read something that's more nuanced and he says to control the amount of time that you spend on that. So I had an experience. We have this new uh, forest hermitage in Ananda, Sacramento. And we were up there, Dharmadas and I, getting ready for a retreat day coming up. 
But I got hooked into doom scrolling. And I was just thinking how terrible the world was and how awful life was on this planet and just on and on and on. And I was starting to get that I was being manipulated somehow. And so I put it down, I got up, and I went outside, and I started working. By the way, when you're scrolling through your emails, this is not exercise. <laughs> it's very important if you want to keep your consciousness uplifted that you work, move energy through your physical body. Anyway, so I was doing this, and this little cloud was around me. And finally, I stood up from what I was doing just to take a breath. And the sky was blue, and the breeze was blowing in the trees, and it was beautiful. We have been manipulated. And I realized in that moment that the more we think how horrible all these circumstances are in the world, and they're heavy duty. A lot of them are, are very serious. I'm not making light of it. But the more that we put out that fear and depression about it, the more that's what manifests. Bregman calls it, you know, like you have a placebo, he calls it a nocebo. So the more you think something, that's what happens. So we don't want to do that. A gathering like this and all of you online, this is how to live your life. Thinking of God, being in the company of other people who want God, that's the way to live. So just to conclude that little story about doom scrolling. What I do now, because I do want to know what's going on, I set a timer in another room. Because <laughs> if it's next to me, I just turn it off and I go, let me finish this article. So I have to get up and break the hypnotism, and I set it for 15 minutes, and that's it. And I also have fast days where I just don't open the computer at all. Just get that energy out of your body and just be in God's light. St. Teresa said many, many beautiful things. I've been reading a lot about her life recently. And for one thing, thinking of St. John, I mean, she didn't say this about St. John, but she said, God aids the valiant. So make your life courageous. Step out of your comfort zone. Try something new. Feel energy flowing through you. I have to tell you this story. We saw the beautiful Samadhi video that Steve Hagee had put video to Swami's reading of Master's poem, <clears throat> Samadhi. I was with Swami when he 
came into the studio one day and said, let's record. I, wanted, I want to record Master's poem, Samadhi. So we put on Holst, The Planets, which is the music in the background. And he had a, a printout of Master's poem, no notes on it. And he recorded in one take the music and the poem. So I don't know if you can appreciate how hard that is when it says volcanic bursts of doomsday cataclysms. The music has to be doing that. And then the whole thing ends perfectly timed. It was amazing to watch. And that's what happens. He's our role model. When you are constantly attuning to the guru, letting that energy flow through you in creative ways, that's the way to uplift consciousness, by being creative in everything. St. Teresa said, even if you're on duty in the kitchen, remember Jesus walks amidst the pots and pans. He's everywhere. You can find him everywhere. So be valiant, be courageous, be creative, and fill your mind with God. Good morning, everyone. My name is Nayaswami Padma, and we serve my husband, Riman and I, at Ananda in Seattle. Hearing Nirmala tell the story of the recording of Samadhi just now reminded me that in, I think it was 2007, we were visiting Swamiji in India, Swami Kriyananda, we all called him Swamiji, and um, the day we arrived, he had to go for a test, a medical test, and he invited us to go along. So we went along, and it turned out he had colon cancer, and he had to have it removed. So he was scheduled for surgery very quickly. I think it was the next day or two days later. And we're sitting there with him, waiting in his room for him to be called to be taken to the surgery. And I noticed he was reading on his iPad or whatever it was that he was reading on, you know what those things are called, on his screen. <laughs> and it is, he was very quiet and very internalized. And at a certain point, I asked him, Swamiji, what are you reading? And he said, I'm reading the poem Samadhi before going into surgery. What a moment, right? Incredible, a life lived for God alone. We're so blessed to have had that. Um, I was thinking last night, 
when the power went out about what Sagar had said yesterday in his talk about ironing out the creases from his <laughs> outfit was ironing out his flaws. And I thought, you all might need to be looking at my flaws today <laughs> because I couldn't iron my outfit. <laughs> but thankfully, the electricity came back. <laughs> well, for those of you who either know me or don't know me, in the last two years, I think I've shrunk about three inches because of arthritis in the lower spine. And then I was thinking about that in terms of my part of the topic today, which is on ego transcendence in living our daily lives as much as we can in uplifted consciousness. And I was thinking if the Yogananda says that the spine is the highway to the infinite, I got a shortcut. <laughs> I have a head start. <laughs> and then I was thinking about it a little further with Morley's story the other night about the Mahamritam Jaya. Uh, he was talking about the god of death, Yama. And it made me remember that early on in my time at Ananda Village here, this is my birthplace, Ananda Village, I remember being at a satsang with Swamiji where we could ask questions. And I asked him, is all fear rooted in the fear of death? And he said, no, all fear is rooted in ego. And that was a real eye-opener for me. I'll never forget that thought because it has informed my understanding of so many things in the day-to-day -day life of trying to live a life for God alone. And then I remembered that when Swamiji ordained Riman and I and a few others as light bearers on this one particular day, he put one hand at the medulla and the other at the spiritual eye for us as he was blessing us and ordaining us, and he was rotating them. And I could feel that he was trying to send my ego towards my spiritual eye, loosening it. And I realize, you know, we do this in our energization exercises every day, don't we? We do this. And all of Yogananda's meditation techniques all of them involve keeping our focus at the spiritual eye, magnetizing the energy up the spine and to the spiritual eye. And that's what he was symbolizing, actuating in that blessing for us. And another thing he said, which was much later in life, to us was one day he was sitting there with a few of us and he said, 
I can now see where on the spectrum from the medulla, the ego, to the spiritual eye, your ego resides. Just in this little, this is really where liberation takes place, right here, from the ego to the spiritual eye. And recognizing that we are somewhere on that spectrum, all of us, because if we're practicing meditation, if we're practicing asanas, yoga, we are lifting the energy up the spine. Many of us are, are spending as much time as we can in those higher chakras. That's what the techniques are intended to do. And so we're on this short little journey at the end. That's why Yogananda says that if you even want to know God, you're almost there. You know, we're on the home stretch. <laughs> I like to think of it that way. I want to read the affirmation that uh, Jatishan Devi sent that went along with this topic today. It says, though my spirit soars in the skies of consciousness, my feet and hands labor here on earth to make truth real to all. Well, we try to have our spirit soar in the skies of consciousness. We all valiantly work at it on a daily basis, hopefully on a minute-by-minute -minute basis. But in reality, we're on this earth plane, we're dealing with our egos to various degrees. And so how do we do, as my husband likes to say, both and? How do we, you know, live in these egos which Jatish described beautifully on Monday, that we have to have them to a certain degree to function and to even start on the spiritual path and put our energy there. So it's not that they're bad, our egos. It's just that we want to put King's soul in the driver's seat of our car and put the ego in the back seat where it belongs rather than the other way around. And all of our spiritual lives, our selfless service, our meditation, is all designed to bit by bit help to make that transition while we're driving at the same time. That's what's happening energetically. And I'm always drawn to Swamiji's books. They're in my DNA. And this one, Sadhu Beware, he has a whole section on ego transcendence. I think it's 39 little points about um, what it means to transcend our ego. And it's not deep philosophy. It's simply, I'm going to just share two of them to give you a taste of what it means to do it in our day-to-day -day lives. 
He says, when someone has a good idea that you've had already, it will help you in practice of humility to tell yourself it's the idea that counts, not the person who had it. Reply simply, therefore, that's a good idea. Let's give it a try. Another one, if someone scolds you for something you didn't do, you may see some good reason for letting him know that you're not guilty. If it doesn't really matter who did it, however, you will gain more spiritually if you say nothing. Well, these things are harder to do in our day-to-day -day reactions in life than you know, we give credit to ego for. It's a tough battle, but they're wonderful. I really recommend reading it and meditating on it and keeping it in your consciousness so that when we do these things, just automatically, reactively, we can at least catch our mistakes through the reflection of in, uh, what do you call it, reflection of our uh, meditation, which helps us to see, oh, that, that didn't feel right. That didn't feel very good. You know, he goes on in this book, whether it relates to the security of relationships or money, uh, our attachments to these things. He gives just such little nuggets that can help us then recognize when we're actually getting gripped by the bad news, as, as Nirmala was saying, of that particular test or issue, interaction with people. Working on ego transcendence is meditating, selfless service is the most powerful way of transcending our egos, because when it's truly selfless and grounded in our meditation practice, we try to see God in one another. We try to practice nishkam karma, as the Bhagavad Gita Krishna tells us about, teaches us about. That book is also worth rereading. We practice through our selfless service because we become self-forgetful. But even with our best efforts, if we have particular karma in particular ways, as uh, I think it was Gyandev was talking about, these vortices of energy in our spine, and boom, before we know it, we've got billions of them. There a karma pops up and we find ourselves working and not serving, and we find ourselves thinking about our own comfort and how we're feeling that day, rather than the selfless service of nishkam karma. So when we practice this, it's, it's subtle, you know? I, I want to give an extreme example. Many of you may be familiar with the book The Hiding Place. 
and the, one of the lead characters, Corrie ten Boom, and her sister, they were in their probably 40s or 50s, and their father, they all took in Jews and hid them during the war. And at a certain point, they were caught and arrested and put in a concentration camp. And it was a horrific time, as you can imagine, for them, but they were deeply devout. Her sister was very frail and didn't survive the war. She was extremely saintly. And Betsy did survive the war, wrote about their experiences, as her sister had asked her to do. She said, there's no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. And she shared, you know, all the lessons that she learned during that time. And one of them that stuck with me was they had to go out to roll call every morning. There were, I don't know, a couple of hundred women in thin rags standing having to stand still for a long time. She described it as hours. At four o'clock in the morning, with the winds whipping and the, the, what do you call it, snow coming down, rain, you name it, they were standing out there. And she figured early on that if she found, could find her way to the middle of the group, then those around her were providing her with just a little hint of warm and protecting her from the wind and such. And then because she was an advanced spiritual soul, she realized one day in her prayer that that was a selfish thought, that she was trying to find her comfortable spot but by her comfort, somebody else was uncomfortable. And so she made it her spiritual practice after that to stand on the edge of the group. And it's an extreme example, but it just shows how nuanced and subtle our spiritual lives are if we begin to reflect on every Every action, every situation, there isn't one situation in our lives that doesn't have the thumbprint of God on it, God's hand in it, and that also doesn't have the thumbprint of our karma and our ego in that moment in it. So being able to discern, again, discernment comes through meditation and selfless service, we begin to see, we begin to reflect, we begin to recognize when we're acting out of covenant with our, ego, with our soul nature, with God. And so we begin to discern when we're a little bit off. And then for the devotee, as Nirmala was saying, we want to find freedom in this lifetime. Let's deal with it. Let's shine the light on it, and let's work on it. You know, we had 
have had, I had the great blessing of working closely with Swamiji for many years and having lots of time to be with him in small groups or privately or going on vacation together. And I remember one vacation in particular, you know, all that time he was uh, helping us. <laughs> I, I used to call them ego neck adjustments. <laughs> We'd get, well, let me put it this way. When I used to go to a chiropractor before arthritis, I liked crackers, you know? I liked it when I got a really good adjustment and my spine would line up again, and even if it hurt for a minute, it felt really good after that. It was all better. But I have friends who like to go to these no-touch chiropractors or these slight-touch chiropractors. And I realize those are all the ego adjustments that we get in our lives. We get the big cracks and we get the little no-touch. We have to really look for them to be able to recognize them. But on this particular trip, we went to Sicily with Swamiji, Riman and I, Asha was there, and <clears throat> I don't think I could do anything right. I was just getting raked over the coals constantly about everything, every word out of my mouth, every little personal habit that I might have had, you know, whatever. It was not right. <laughs> and that was not like him. He didn't normally uh, go to quite that extreme with us. But on this occasion, that's just what it felt like. And then towards the end of the trip, I was sitting in a restaurant with him, and we were waiting for Riemann and Asha to arrive. So I was alone with him. And he starts to tell me this story about Master Paramahansa Yogananda in his guru's ashram, Sri Yukteswar. Yogananda talks about that in his autobiography. He talks about how intensely um, Sri Yukteswar disciplined him and trained him, but he also said he didn't mind it because he knew that Sri Yukteswar was trying to destroy any vestige of ego that remained. And so in this story that Swamiji was sharing with me, he said, Master was in uh, Sri Yukteswar's ashram. This came out of the blue. He just started telling it. He said, and at a certain point, he was serving Sri Yukteswar and his guest some refreshments and he tripped, and he spilled things, and he, you know, he sort of caught himself, and Sri Yukteswar started laughing at him, and then scolding him for being so clumsy. And Yogananda said, told Kriyananda that he reflected instantly that that wasn't Sri Yukteswar's nature to do it that way that he was only trying to have him understand, have him transcend his ego, 
any vestige of ego that remained. And of course, all of this was for our benefit. But this is what Yogananda was saying to Kriyananda. And then that was the end of the story. He never connected the dots. He didn't say, and this is what I've been doing with, you know. <laughs> he just told the story. But of course, it helped me to see and understand what was going on. This ego needs a lot of refinement. I, there's just a small handful of times through the years where I got real cracks, you know, from him. And I remember on one of those occasions telling Riemann, I think he thinks I'm made out of steel. <laughs> and then I thought, I am made out of steel. <laughs> Our egos are made out of fortified steel. They're like these columns of billions of karmas through millions of incarnations, and it takes a sledgehammer sometimes to just sort of get through it and whack it a bit. And so this is a blessing. You know, ego likes things fixed. It doesn't like flexibility. And from the beginning of our lives here at Ananda, but really I was reflecting, it doesn't matter where you live or where you're working, out in the world or different parts of the world, when you're working in a job, the longer you're in it, the more you gain some expertise in it, the more valued you are for that, the longer you stay in that, okay? At Ananda, from the beginning, we were moved around from job to job, and later from colony to colony, and it was so that we would not begin to or ever identify ourselves with what we're doing. You know, I'm an accountant, I'm a nurse, I'm a teacher, I'm a singer, it doesn't matter. We're none of those things. And the sooner we live in that ocean, that flexibility, the sooner our egos start to, ego wants something to hold on to. If it doesn't have anything to hold on to, it goes somewhere else, you know? So, for the devotee, these situations, these, some people would call it tests, I call them blessings, because when we can see our creases, our flaws, then we can work on them, and when we can work on them, we can more and more begin to transcend, and the more we do, the freer and happier we are. Joy to you. Sundara was not able to join us today. He was gonna talk on 
energy. So he asked me if I could give us a little bit of energy. So I'm going to invite us to stand and act enthusiastic, even if you don't feel enthusiastic. I am awake and ready. I am awake and ready. I am awake and ready. I am positive, energetic, enthusiastic. I am positive, energetic, enthusiastic. I am positive, energetic, enthusiastic. I am master of my body. I am master of myself. I am master of my body. I am master of myself. Irish Spring commercial. Awake, rejoice, my body cells. Awake, rejoice, my body cells. Awake, rejoice, my body cells. Be glad, my brain. Be wise and strong. Be glad, my brain. Be wise and strong. Be glad, my brain. Be wise and strong. Awake, my sleeping children, wake. Awake, my sleeping children, wake. And while we're standing, just one experiential breathing exercise, the circle of joy. So I invite you to inhale, and then exhale. You can bring the hands out in front, and you can inhale above. Exhale, circle that light, that joy. Interlace behind the back, draw all their shoulders down. And then as you exhale, circle, and one more time. And above you, around you, and behind, and coming back to your heart. Thank you. And I'd like to invite Ramesha and Bhagavati. No. I lost Ramesha. We'll do it later. Have a seat, please. <laughs> we'll do it a cappella. I wanted to share with you uh, one of Swamiji's children's song. So if you know this, you'll get it. It's very simple. It's called Here's Sing. Ramesha. Here's Ramesha. It's called Sing in the Meadows. You might be familiar with it, you might not. And the lyrics are up on the screen. Fratello, do you need the chords? Uh, no. Oh, perfect. <laughs> sing in the meadows and everywhere. Sing out a blessing to everyone. Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high, sing and the battle is won. Sing in the meadows and everywhere, sing out a blessing to everyone. Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high, sing and battle One more time. Sing in the meadows and everywhere. Sing out a blessing to everyone. Lift up your voices, lift your hands on high. Sing and the battle is won. Thank you, Ramesha to the rescue and Bhagavati. I'll be sharing on sharing, sharing inspiration with others. You know, I thought to start, 
if this is seeing daily life with uplifted consciousness, one of the very first, I serve at Crystal Clarity, which you probably have <laughs> realized that by now. But the first reading of the week, Nayaswami Ananta, at the end of Monday morning meditation, read from Swami Kriyananda's Living Wisely, Living Well. And it is, if you want to enjoy life, take yourself less seriously. And I just, I love that. <laughs> because I have uh, perhaps a way of sometimes being Inspector Clouseau. <laughs> if you're not familiar with that, he's this uh, detective that sort of can't really figure the crime out, but somehow he makes a, a mess of things. I do that sometimes. <laughs> but we can have fun with it. And I wanted to share a story. Uh, Dharma Devi and I, as part of our service in Los Angeles, we have the Art and Science of Raja Yoga series. And one of the classes is on the topic of yama. And this is uh, the power of self-control. And you may be aware, I'm sure many of you do, maybe some don't, but Master wrote a chant called, Oh, my mind, learn thou self-control. So I was very inspired to learn this chant. I'm not a great harmonium player, but I can, I can do a chant or two. So I stumbled upon the melody and I was, Oh, my mind, learn thou self-control. And I found it, and I started doing it. Oh, my mind, learn thou self-control. And I was really getting into it. Oh, my mind, learn thou self-control. And I kept going, and I kind of got a little bit faster and faster. And Dharma Devi in the other room just started laughing. <laughs> and and I, I'm a little self-conscious about my harmonium play. I said, what are you laughing at? She said, you're out of control with self-control. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, I, I, she's Dharma Devi. I mean, she's right. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to talk about today. How do we get out of control with self-control? <laughs> and I, I want to suggest this method that it's smile. And I'm going to talk about the S, the M, and the I, and the L, and the E of smile. But I want to come back before I do that to Jyotish, Naiswami Jyotish shared on Monday that story uh, from the autobiography where Master was meditating and then he was pulled out of his meditation and he found he was a soldier and he was um, shot on this beach and he was dying. And he didn't know if he was alive or dead. And he cried out, I went and found the it was in the daily calendar, and I had just read it on Sunday, but I wanted to look at that story. And he said, Lord, I prayed, am I dead or alive? A dazzling play of light filled the whole horizon. A soft rumbling vibration formed itself into words. What has life or death to do with light? In the image of my light, I made you. The relativities of life and death belong to the cosmic dream. Behold your dreamless being. Awake, my child, awake. I love that. Isn't that beautiful? But the last part is the part I wanted to add to what Jyotish said. 
my dreamless being, your dreamless being, our dreamless being, that's what we're talking about in order to see a daily life with uplifted consciousness. It's like Padma was sharing. We don't want to relate to one another from ego to ego. Gyandiv gave us that beautiful exercise yesterday relating soul to soul from the spiritual eye to the spiritual eye. Our dreamless being. And we can find our dreamless being when, of course, we need that presence of God within. The only place we're, we're going to find that dreamless being is when we go deep into meditation. We find respite in sleep. Uh, we all need to rest. We all know that. But Master said that sleep is a listless state. Right? You're not... It's counterfeit samadhi, is one of the ways he described it. So we want that real, that more awake and true, uh, the true life of God's true joy in his dreamless being. So I, I was meditating on this for today and thinking of smiling. And Swamiji, of course, had such a beautiful smile. And he really shared, I thank you Ramesh and Bhagavati for that other song they sang at the beginning. Um, and it reminded me, I think, of another children's song of Swamiji's, where he said, give me joy to share. You know, it's not enough for us to have the joy for ourselves. That's the beautiful thing of the way that Swami taught us, is we want, we just, it's the nature of joy to expand and share itself. So we want to share it with others. So you would be with Swami, you know, walking down a sidewalk and he would compliment a woman's scarf. What a beautiful color. Gloria, what a beautiful scarf. <laughs> the colors, the life, and people would just come to life. It was like they would come out of that dream, that slumber, and he would touch them in that dreamless space. So what is that? How? What is that spiritual vision? Master talked about it as being center, divine vision. He said elsewhere in the autobiography is center everywhere, circumference nowhere. And we have, wow, if you want an example of that, step one, wake up. Step two, enter the temple of light. Center everywhere, circumference. This is such an incredible temple. Don't forget the eight nooks, right? Symbolizing the universality of all, there, there's just one faith, there's just one light, and it's the remembrance of that. So how do we find it? The, the S for smile. Swami actually gave that as a practical recommendation. He said, be the first to smile. You know, that when you meet someone, just to greet them, you know, from your heart, and to feel that, and from your center to their center, to try to meet them in that way. He, well, uh, the, the, the M for within the smile, I was thinking of music, and his music is so um, powerful. Nirmala was talking about it. It's so beautiful. Because it, 
it gets, it reminds us of that dreamless place within us. And, you know, the real music, of course, though, like Master said, it's not the songs that we sing, it's not the chants, it's not the om. It's the real chanting is the vibration of our very being. And so anytime we're with anyone, we can share. We can just, we don't have to say anything. Our uh, dear friend Sam Podany, who just recently uh, left the body, is a great soul, disciple of Master through another direct disciple, Dr. George. And he said, no matter where you are, whatever position you are in life, you can just silently radiate love and joy and you don't have to make a big production out of it. Sam had a really funny sense of humor, and he said, I tell you, that's Swami Kriyananda, unbelievable. <laughs> he said, I, I just, I, I'm reading his book of letters in Divine Friendship, and I can't believe it. The patience, the wisdom. He said, if people ask me, I would just say, Figure it out yourself. <laughs> but Swami had, he had that, it was one of his gifts, he had that, the patience to, how did, I always loved that way Swami described uh, love. He said love is bliss in motion. And that the, the three vibrations that master most emanated, Master said, were love, joy, and wisdom. And we think about those as separate, but they're one. It, because the, the love is the, God's bliss emotion, and the wisest thing is to share that. That's why I thank you, thanks to Sagar for sharing that beautiful quote of what Swami said yesterday about the Kundalini. Do you remember that? The most important thing he said about awakening the Kundalini is kindness, generosity of heart, truthfulness. Oh my God, that's so touching. It's not the, the techniques, we can all learn the techniques, we'll learn Kriya Yoga, and they're wonderful and they're incredible techniques, not to minimize them, but they, they're really null and void if we don't marry them with right living. And so the the eye in the smile, I always loved Master's couplet, when this eye shall die, then shall I know who am I. When we can relate to each other in that way and share, so the eye is not for the eye of the ego here, but inspiration. And I wanted to share, I had some inspiration on this topic. And if you'll indulge me, I, I wrote a little poem. I'm from the East Coast and I mispronounced Poem, so many times people made fun of me. I would say poem, but it's poem. It's actually, <laughs> it's two syllables. <laughs> That's what I'm told. <laughs> so this is called the sideless side of spirit. We are all part of the sideless side of spirit. Though some play a separate side, spirit sides with all sides, who find their sideless side in him where two become one, and one the only one. So sidelessly side with spirit, W-R-I-N-G, ring out your wrongs, let your heart become 
known to the knowing, the knower, just the one, singing, singing a song like none have sung, loving, lover, love, the only one, where your two become one, and you're one, the only one, sidelessly side with spirit, have fun. <laughs> The, there are thieves, though, that Master talks about that we have to be on guard in our quest for self-realization and holding it, you know, like Swami said, it's like a garden that we're tending or, or a baby that we're raising. And one thing that he talked about that I stumbled upon for the topic from how to be happy he said, your individual happiness depends to a large extent upon protecting yourself and your family from the evil results of gossiping. See no evil, speak no evil, hear no evil, think no evil, feel no evil. Most people can talk about other people for hours and thrive under the influence of gossip like the temporary influence of intoxicating poisonous wine. Isn't it strange that people can smoothly, joyously, and with caustic criticism talk about the faults of others for hours, but cannot endure reference to their own faults at all? It's a yeah, strong medicine, like Padma said. Sometimes we need this psychological blow. What did Sri Yukteswar said? Right? He popped, uh, or Master said that of Sri Yukteswar, for every psychological blow he dealt my jaw, I am ineffably grateful. And if we take the, this wisdom from our master with gratitude, that's one of the keys for us. So smile, music, inspiration. L is for laughter. And this is something I, many of us, I'm sure those in our music ministry have played and many of us have heard Swami's song. It was at the, it was at the um, concert last night, The Secret of Laughter, right? I've heard that song many times, but I just, I was actually floored when I heard the lyrics and I started to pay attention to them. The secret of laughter lies in the laughing, not in the search for joy. I had never paid attention to that. And I actually did a double, and I had to go and look it up. The Swami really, wait, was that right? <laughs> yes. Because we, we're so programmed, right? We've got to be, we're struggling, we're striving for it. But the secret is, is just be, living in it, being in that joy. So I wanted to share with you, our tech team is going to cue this up, where Swami gave a discourse in Los Angeles about the secret of laughter. <laughs> Uh, the last letter is E, and there's no better word than eternity, whispers from eternity. Master said, when I'm gone, read from my whispers. Eternally, I will speak to you through them. I'm sure many of us here have opened up this book 
We've had a question. We've had a need, and we've opened it, and there's been an answer. I had a question, and I had a need. I need some inspiration for spiritual renewal. <laughs> the talk. Help me out, Master. <laughs> so, on this, because the divine vision that we talked about is center everywhere, circumference nowhere, that dreamless being of our soul nature that's without birth, that's without death, that is like, that's why we love, that's why this temple is so inspiring. Because it reminds us of our soul nature. How Master said, immortalize your ideals through architecture. The ideal is self-realization. The ideal is that we are infinite. The, ideal, the truth is that we are eternal. I want to share with you this incredibly beautiful whisper. It's called the universal prayer in the cosmic temple. With a myriad of living thoughts of devotion, I have built for thee a temple of awakened silence. I have brought the multicolored lamps of wisdom from all valid faiths. They shine with the luster of thy one truth. The co-mingled incense of human craving for thy love soars up in spirals from the incense bowl of our hearts. Thy sacred presence shines on altars everywhere. All prayers of all temples, tabernacles, churches, mosques, and viharas are chanting to thee in the universal language of deep love. The orchestra of our combined feelings plays in harmony with the chorus of all soul songs. With the cry of all tears, with the bursting shout of all joys, and with the united anthem of all prayers. In this wallless, cosmic temple of the soul, we worship thee, our one Father. Be pleased to reveal thyself to us always. Amen. Om. Amen. So, dear friends, let us sing, and the battle is won. Let us share the smile of God's joy, and it will be a lot more fun. And let us never forget to love the only one. Before we have our break, before meditation at noon, uh, I'd like to ask your support of a, another blessing, just like we're sending out blessings for the fire here. We also have a fire, as we know in the world, of anger and fear and all these negative emotions that are swirling. And we need to spread God's light, Master's love and joy ever more deeply and broadly. And Along those lines, Crystal Clarity has been collaborating with Ananda India to make all of Swami's books, music, audiobooks available around the world. You would think people in India could just simply buy the essence of the Gita, the audiobook, but 
technology being what it was, there's challenges. So we've, we are in the process of, it's happening today, of upgrading our website so that no matter where you are in the world, in India, our devotees in South Africa, Singapore, wherever, they could buy Swami's music, download it, buy an audiobook in their local currency and in a price that's actually reasonable for their uh, local region. So I would love to ask us if we could just send out three ohms for this and also for the fire, thinking that they're really one and the same because consciousness and thoughts affects the physical plane. summer.